All right, I am so excited for you guys to hear episode number 35. I have Melissa with Bluegrass Beef joining us, and Melissa brought so much great energy to this episode. We had a blast recording this with so many laughs and just a great time. So I cannot wait for you guys to join in on this and to learn more about Melissa and her husband's wonderful first-generation journey over the last almost 10 years. She really breaks it down for us and gives us so many great tips and insight on how they did it and are continuing to do it in the beautiful state of Kentucky. So let's head on into episode number 35 and let's get to know Melissa a little bit better. Welcome to the Ranching Brunette Podcast. I am your host, Logan Robinson, and this is the podcast for aspiring first-generation ranchers by an aspiring first-generation rancher with one goal in mind, to get America ranching again. Hey, Melissa, thank you so much for joining me on the Ranching Burnett podcast. I'm so excited to have you on and to learn more about bluegrass beef. Hey, Logan, I am so excited that you wanted someone from Kentucky on your podcast. <laughs> oh, I was so excited when you reached out to me. I'm like, yes, we need somebody from Kentucky to come on. And I am just really excited. And I'd really love to hear your first generation ranching story because when you reached out to me, you shared a tidbit of it and I was fascinated by it. So will you share with us how you and your husband came to be ranchers? Yes, I will. And and I'm going to talk about this a little later, I think. But if you hear me referring to us as farmers, it's because in Kentucky, we say farmers instead of ranchers. I think it's so, ranchers sounds so cool to me. Like I aspire to be a rancher, but um, I'll tell you why I think that is a little bit later. But for now, if I slip up and say farmer, it is. That's what it is. (laughs) Okay, awesome. I can't wait to hear about that. So um, I grew up in a neighborhood, like no farm connection. Um, I always had an interest in farming or ranching, whatever you want to call it. I loved horses and I took riding lessons. I worked for a veterinarian. I wanted to be a vet, but I didn't really have any connections, family connections to the farm. Now, my husband, on the other hand, he grew up on a small to medium-sized farm um, for Kentucky. They had like about 80 acres, I think, and he grew up, they had horses. They actually had some thoroughbred racehorses for a while, and they also had quarter horses, and they always had cattle. He was in FFA. He grew, they raised hay. He roped on, um, he did high school rodeo and then college rodeo, so he was very in to the farming and ranching world. And we met at Murray State. We grew up like about 40 minutes apart, but we had to go to a school about four hours away to meet each other, which we always say that's funny. <laughs> I love <laughs> but, that. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's funny how God works and how life works and all yeah. that. But <laughs> so I was on, we were both pre-vet majors and I was on the equestrian team and Josh was on the rodeo team until he had to like get serious about his studies. He's a veterinarian, so he he had to study more than I did. <laughs> and then I I ended up changing my major to ag ed, but we met each other and we I convinced him to fall in love with me and we got married. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Bless his heart. He's he's a lot more I'm a lot more forward than he is. So, um he, I say he took a little convincing, but I finally got him to love me. <laughs> That's awesome. So from Murray State, Murray's in Western Kentucky, and we moved, at, we got married, and Josh got into vet school, 
And we went to Auburn, Alabama for him to go to vet school. Kentucky does not have a veterinary school, but we have a partnership with Auburn. And so they take some Kentucky students every year and we moved to Auburn. And then after Auburn, after spending four years in the deep South, we moved to upstate New York for a veterinary internship. (laughs) Yes. So culture shock, um, but it was amazing. It was a fairly rural area of New York. And so we were, we loved it. And it's funny, we were complete like anomalies to them though. We had these Southern accents and we just, we were from the South and they thought we were hilarious. I'm sure, whatever. This whole time we were very horse focused, not really cattle focused at all. Just we had horses and we rode and he was doing um, actually an all equine practice at that point. So we moved, we moved back to Kentucky in 06 and we had been here about a year and Josh was just like, I want to buy some cattle. And I thought, why on earth do you want to buy some cattle? And apparently Little did I know he had had this dream of cattle farming, Um, but I was like, all right, buy your cows. Your dad has some cows. We'll put them out together and whatever. So we, that kind of started it off and we started growing this really slowly. We started with about six cows and we'll talk about growth later because you were interested in how we grew, but we started out just farming his dad's, like farming on his dad's farm. We kept these cattle there and because we could not find a farm to lease nearby where we were, we were not in a position to buy a farm. Um, and my in-laws live about an hour away from us. And so we had our cows with their cows and eventually we bought his dad out. We bought out his little herd too. So at that point I was pregnant with my first baby. I have a boy and a girl and I was pregnant with Eli and I basically just helped with the cattle when we needed to do something with them. So like we needed to castrate, vaccinate, ear tag that, or we needed to wean them. But I was really hands off because I just, I don't know, it, whatever, cows. So <laughs> kind of fast forward a little bit and um, I got pregnant again with my daughter. We had finally found a farm to rent that was nearby to us. Josh was in a different job situation. He, he kind of got burned out on equine practice. He was working really long hours, lots of on call and just not getting paid for it. Well, um, that's another whole podcast, <laughs> but he switched to an emergency small animal job where he was working overnight mm. and he had a really weird schedule, but it actually allowed us to spend a little more time on the farming. So we found this farm to rent that was near us. It was a, a man that had been a dairy farmer and he was getting elderly and he still wanted cattle on his farm, but he knew he couldn't do the work himself. So we gladly took that over. And at this point, Josh kind of started toying with the idea. He was like, I want to finish some grass fed beef. And again, I thought, why? (laughs) Why would you want to do this? And I guess he had been looking into this and grass fed beef was becoming more of a thing around here. Um, People were starting to see the health benefits from that. And local foods 
was beginning to be a thing as well. This was in about 2010. And I'm not sure about where you guys live, but the local food movement kind of blew up here. Oh, yeah. Yes. So people, we had people that knew we had cattle and they were kind of asking like, well, do you ever sell beef? And we thought no, but we thought, well, maybe we need to do this and capitalize on that. So we finished our first steer in 2011. And we sold the beef through um, some friends of ours had a CSA, a community supported agriculture. They sold vegetables, but they used our beef as an add on package. Nice. Yeah, it was really cool. And people loved it and they wanted more. So we thought, well, all right, we've got to finish more beef. And at this point, I realized I need to learn to sell and market this beef and I need to step it up on the farm. I went to this conference that we have every year here. It's called Kentucky Women in Agriculture. And it was the first time I'd ever been in a room surrounded by all these other women that were farming and in the ag industry. And I kind of had a little personal breakthrough, like I need to, I got to do this. So I traded in my little SUV for a truck. (laughs) I learned how to fix fence. I learned how to rotate cattle. I learned how to you know, check for calves during calving season. I learned how to pull a cattle trailer. I had to learn all this stuff. And, uh, but I loved it. We started selling our beef at one farmer's market and we started finding more farms to, to lease in our area. And eventually we got to the point where we could buy our own farm. And so we do own a farm now. Yeah. So today our operation kind of looks like this. We've got a hundred head of mama cows. They're mostly commercial cows, but we do have a small herd of registered red Angus cows and we're kind of growing that. We operate on four different farms. We sell our beef at two farmer's markets, and we also sell out of our house. People can order online. We have a little online ordering platform, and people can order that way and then pick up at our home. I use social media a lot to sell and market our beef. It turns out I really like marketing. (laughs) And my job before I stopped to stay home with my kiddos, I was in pharmaceutical sales for a little while, veterinary sales. And so it's funny how I like all that experience that I never thought I would use again, I actually have found use for it, right? (laughs) Isn't that amazing how that works? Things from your past start, you know, taking action and playing into what your current situation is. And this is just another way that God works. I love that. It is so cool how that works. We sell our beef either by the cut. So I sell retail cuts, um, but we also sell large quantities. So quarter, half, whole, or we do these big bundles. And then we've also expanded into grass-fed beef jerky and snack sticks. Uh-huh. I know. I'll have to send you some of those. That sounds amazing. Good. Yeah. We're still 100% grass-fed um, because that's kind of, that's just the way, that's our MO, I guess. Yeah. And our customers, we developed a customer base around that. I, I've heard you talk with other people on your podcast, like there, there's a place for all types of beef, I feel like, and it's nice for everybody to have options, but our customers do desire grass-fed beef. So we have stuck with that. Our beef is dry aged and we work with our processor and freeze it and vacuum seal it and, and all that. Josh is still, he is primary herd management. I tell him he's the the herd manager and um, I'm kind of primary on sales and marketing We don't really have any other employees. Josh's dad helps us a ton on his farm. 
um, but we try not to abuse that, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then our kids are basically free labor. Um, <laughs> we try not to burn them out either though. They're 11 and eight and we kind of just, you know, I don't want them to, to hate this or see that this is a chore. We want them to enjoy this. Sure. So, and I did have a little, she's not little. She's a high, she was a high school student. She worked for me her junior and senior year of high school but she had the audacity to go to college this year. <laughs> Darn her. <laughs> and so I know. I miss her so much, though, because she helped me so much with things like our email newsletters and packaging orders and things like that. So I'm really struggling this year without her. So it's pretty much just me and Josh. But I tell you what, Logan, if you had told me my life would look like this 20 years ago, I would have laughed at you. <laughs> And um, it's funny because this did not start out as my dream, but it has become my dream and passion I love that. along the way. Oh, I love that, Melissa. That's such an amazing story. I love listening in on how everyone's journey has <laughs> just kind of taken place to where they are today. And everyone's is unique. Like in the grand scheme of things, you know, it's all very similar. But when you break it into the details and you see how God has worked in each person's journey, yes. it blows my mind. And I love you and your husband's story. That was, that's just fascinating. Let's do it. I'm like enthralled with it. I could picture the way Aww. you were describing it. I could picture everything. And I love that your kids are part of it. And what a good age where they can really start grasping the lifestyle and appreciating it. And then also, you know, it instills such a great work ethic in kids yes. when they grow up in this lifestyle. Yes, that is so important to us. And again, you know, like we don't want to burn them out at a young age. Our kids probably have more responsibility than their friends as far as sure. chores and things like that. But there is so much value in that. And I want our kids to to learn to work and to learn to work hard. And I think farming is so good to teach kids that those values. Absolutely. Okay, so let's talk ranching in Kentucky because you are the first Kentucky rancher to be featured on the podcast. So what is, you guys call it farming, what is farming like in your beautiful bluegrass state? Yeah, so Kentucky is known for three big things, horses, bourbon, and Kentucky fried chicken, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> So those are big things, but Kentucky is actually the largest beef producing state east of the Mississippi River. That's crazy. I would have never guessed. Yeah, I know. <laughs> right. And we're 14th largest cattle state in the nation wow. um, behind, you know, your big Western states. But Kentucky sure. is actually a really good place to raise cattle. And uh, hopefully I'll tell you why that is. So we're still a pretty rural state. Over 50% of Kentucky is still farmland. And we have a lot of like small, diverse family farms. So here's why I think that we call it farming instead of ranching. Kentucky is also known, we have a, this deep history of raising tobacco in, in Kentucky. Our, our soils are really good for tobacco. And so pretty much, I mean, 50 years ago for sure, but even as recent as like 30 years ago, pretty much everybody raised a little bit of tobacco on their farm. Wow. You can't ranch tobacco, right? <laughs> right. So everyone was a farmer. Everybody also had a little bit of a, a few cattle too, but you can't ranch tobacco. So everybody just called themselves farmers, right? <laughs> I love it. That's what I suspect. I don't know. I That's, that's just me making stuff up, but... <laughs> Great. Right. The average herd size of, of cow herd size in Kentucky is 31 head. So oh, fairly nice. small. We're well above that. But so it 
that kind of illustrates how lots of people have just a few cows on their farm. They're like cattle are just a small piece of everybody's farm. We we have a really long grazing season in Kentucky. So our grass starts growing usually kind of in late March. And we can graze. We're still actually grazing our cattle on some of our farms right now. We can get to early December if we do a good job wow. rotating. Yeah, right? Oh, that's nice. It is so nice. And I think part of that is we get plenty of rainfall here. We had a little bit of a drought this year, but it is nothing like the droughts out west. Our pastures stay pretty lush. And our stocking rate here is around one cow-calf pair per three acres. So that, okay. yeah, that gives you an idea kind of how our our pastures are pretty lush, especially if you maintain them well. And like we use rotational grazing, so it's real important to us to just do a good job with our, our grass management there. We are also the largest non-alfalfa hay producing state in the U.S. So Kentucky makes more hay than any other state, non-alfalfa hay. I didn't know that, but I found that because it's one more reason I think that it is easy and good to raise cattle in Kentucky. We've got lots of hay to feed in the wintertime as well. Yeah, that's incredible. I had no idea. I didn't either before I was looking it up for this, So, but I thought that was pretty cool. Another thing that's kind of unique to Kentucky, I said earlier, we're known for bourbon here. So... Yeah byproduct of bourbon is distiller's grain. Right. And we don't feed those to our cattle because we're grass fed, but we have all of these bourbon distilleries, the especially in central Kentucky where we are, that are like that is a waste product for them and they will give it to these cattle farmers that are wow. trying to feed it to their cattle. So that's kind of a, a nice little benefit um, for people that are feeding cattle in in this area. I'm blown away. So what are the winters like in Kentucky? Yeah, so there are some challenges to farming in Kentucky. And one of those is we have huge temperature swings. So we have really hot summers. You know, we had, I forget how many days just in October that it was 90 degrees in October. Wow. But our, yes, and that's unusual. This is a weird year, but... (laughs) Um, but it, but it happened and it was not cool. Winters here can get pretty cold, not like where you guys are, but we, it's, it's not unusual to have temperatures like in January and February that are just kind of in the twenties. We can get down around zero, but everybody freaks out and everybody like nobody leaves their house. And it's funny. We don't get a ton of snow. We get a little bit of snow kind of depends on the year, but but the temperature swings can be hard on cattle too. So you can start the day off in the 20s, but then get up into the 50s during the day. And those temperature swings can be hard on cattle. Yeah. So we really need cattle that are suited to handling like hot summers, hot, humid summers, and pretty cold, nasty winters. Another thing Kentucky has too that can be a challenge is we have a grass here that pretty much everybody has called Kentucky 31 fescue. And it's not as much of a thing as out west, but there's an endophyte in that grass that can cause some issues like vasoconstriction. So it can cause blood vessels to constrict in the cattle. And so in the wintertime, you get cows that get like frostbit ears or they'll lose the bob of their tail because their circulation is oh, wow. not really good. 
Yeah. And so um, it can also cause some reproductive problems and things like that. So we work really hard to, to keep cattle that are tolerant to that. We try to use genetics, especially in our registered herd. We're trying to select genetics that are fescue tolerant. So they perform well in our area, if that makes sense. That's fascinating. I had no idea. And I know you guys have a lot of humidity in Kentucky. So those temperatures, like, you know, for people here in Montana, like 20, that sounds like heaven, but it's a dry, you know, uh, cold up here. Whereas you guys have that bone chilling humidity with those temperatures. So zero with humidity, that is, you know, that can be dangerous. It can be. And we get this awful, like, freezing rain so it's not yeah it's it is bone chilling like you said 20 degrees or or it we'd probably get snow if it was 20 degrees but around that 30 degree mark where it's just around freezing we get this nasty sleety freezing rain and it is really hard on cows and especially on calves yeah oh I bet and so what time of year do you guys calve yeah, so I was getting ready to say we try to plan our calving season to avoid most of that. Some people calve in February around here. To me, no, that is asking for trouble. <laughs> so we shoot for later March, April. The majority of our calves come in April okay. because the weather is usually somewhat better by that point. And then they're already grass is growing. So we're able to calve in um, a lusher grass situation and most of the freezing rain is gone but that whole thing like and I know other states say it too if you don't like the weather in Kentucky just wait 30 minutes you know you just never know what's gonna happen I know we had snow in Montana at the end of September and it really hasn't gone away since I mean it snowed last night and sometimes it hits us early and then other times we can have a really nice fall to where we're not getting snow until late November and you can never really gauge when it's gonna happen I love the snow. I do wish we got a little bit more snow around here, but it is challenging. I cannot imagine being where you guys are and dealing with just like all of the snow. That would be so challenging. It's rough. (laughs) Yeah. And then, you know, it gets cold. Like we get uh, negative 20s and, you know, with the wind chill to negative 30, but it's dry here. So yeah, it's cold. But if you're bundled up, other than us women, we don't have facial hair, right? So your right. face feels like it's going to freeze off. But the rest of you can be pretty warm. God bless Carhartt and Stormy Cromer and Phil yes. some wool jackets because without them, I would be a popsicle. Yes. But uh, yeah, it get that wind chill can come in and really be cold. So do you guys get a lot of wind where you're at? Not a ton. I mean, but. it can be breezy, but not like where you are. Our topography here is kind of rolling. And then uh-huh. um, Eastern Kentucky actually has mountains. So Western Kentucky gets more wind because they're flatter, but um, where we are, we have enough like hills and tree breaks and stuff that I, it's just not very windy. Negative 30 degrees. Hang on, hang on a second. That is insane. I, I don't know that I would survive well in Montana. (laughs) It took me a good two winters to acclimate. Now, you know, it's not like that all the time, but I remember our first winter, it was in the negative temperatures for a week straight. I'm even talking during the day was like negative one, negative four. Oh and then that wind chill would kick in and get, you know, negative 20. And I'm like, where did oh. we just move? Like, cause I didn't grow up here. I oh. was telling my husband, like, I don't think I'm going to survive this. I am a warm weather person. I grew up in the desert. So this oh. uh, was not yes. easy. <laughs> and then I grew up part of my childhood in Oklahoma where it was humid and warm And then Montana was a shock uh, just weather-wise, but it is amazing. I will tell you 
how easily livestock adapt as well as yourself. Mm. Like this, it'll be our uh, sixth winter here. Mm-hmm. I'm like ready for it. Like it's oh. it'll be 15 degrees outside. I'm out in a sweatshirt. You know, it's like okay, no big deal. Oh. So it's kind of funny how you learn to acclimate. Yeah, that year we spent in upstate New York, I do feel like I acclimated there. I say my southern blood is thin, but it thickened (laughs) up a little bit. And it it was funny. We came home for Christmas that year, and I was like, oh, man, it's warm in Kentucky because it was so cold (laughs) in New York. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, gosh. I know. We're going to Phoenix in the middle of uh, December this year, and I'm looking forward to that because I will be in shorts and a tank top. I will have the widest legs there, but it'll be yes. so warm. And a lot of my family's in Phoenix and they're bundled up as if they were spending winter in Montana. <laughs> it's kind of funny because they're wearing jackets and gloves and stuff. I'm like, yo, uh, it's like 40 degrees outside. What are you doing? <laughs> it's kind of funny. Awesome. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that little break. Cause it's, you know, like I said, it's snowing and cold today and it comes too no. early every year. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't deal well with that. (laughs) So Melissa, what have been the biggest challenges and breakthroughs on your first generation journey? Yes. So I would say our number one biggest challenge has been finding land to lease in our area. Land is very expensive in this area or it's just not available. There, there's some, a few years ago when crop prices got high, mm-hmm. the land lease prices went really high too. And a lot of these crop farmers, not, I mean, they were just making a living, but they went in and they tore out all the boundary fences so they could get their big equipment in and out. And so now there are farms available, but they're not fenced anymore. And um, lease prices have come down a little bit, but fencing is a challenge. It would be very hard for us to go into a lease situation that has no boundary fence and try to incur the expense of that, setting all that up. So finding land that has at least some infrastructure on it that is available has been a big issue. We found our first farm. When we found our first farm, it was a little ad in the paper and we just lucked out. We just happened to see it and um, it it just worked out well because he had had cattle on the farm already. So that worked out well. But another challenge that we deal with is we're very spread out. So our farms are, we still use Josh's parents' farm and that's about an hour from us. And then our largest farm that we use is about 30 minutes away from us. It's about 250 acres. We have a lot of cows and calves there. So during calving season, that is a long drive for us to, we're just inefficient as far as spending time in the truck. That is just going to be a challenge for us. We just, we just deal with it. So (laughs) I hate inefficiency, but that is just something I've had to learn that, you know, if we're going to continue to do this and continue to find farms, they may not be in the best areas and it is what it is. Yeah. It's kind of like uh, make do with what you got, especially starting out any land opportunity is a blessing unto itself. And it's amazing what you're willing to do to make something happen. And yeah, you guys spend a lot of time in the truck, but how neat it is you guys actually were able to find the land to yes. be able to accomplish this. Yes. Especially now, I feel like it's really hard. Even here, it's hard to acquire land. And most of the lease land has been in lease contracts for dozens of years. So it's just, it, it can be hard to come across that land. Yes. Those are our two main challenges and just balancing it all. And we'll, I mean, we're going to talk about that more later. I think inefficiency, just we're trying to make ourselves as efficient 
as possible. And you know, the truck time, you said time in the truck. I, I think I am more productive now than I used to be because when we started this, podcasts weren't a thing. And now I use that yeah. truck time to listen. I listen to podcasts. I use voice dictation on my phone for different things. Yes, girl. Yes. Right. <laughs> so I, it's not as bad as it used to be. Um, I don't know. You just find little ways to be yeah. productive and using that time. I agree with you because I still commute to my day job. And so, you know, it's 55 miles one way. So that's about an hour for me to get to uh, my day job. And I'm listening to podcasts. I'm recording voice audio memos of, you know, upcoming topics I want to talk about or, you know, anything like that. And it's amazing how efficient, thanks to technology, yeah. if you're safe while driving, yes. um, you can learn a new language. You can listen to business podcasts, financial podcasts, agriculture podcasts, books on tape. I mean, so many things where it's like you're going to a college class for me, two hours a day, yeah. an hour to work, an hour home and the amount of growth and then how I've learned to balance my time. And we'll get to talk about that. Mm -hmm. But it's amazing. Like you said, sometimes time in your vehicle is a blessing. Yeah. I've learned so much and it's been almost a year since we moved out here. And I can't believe how efficient I've learned to become, even though I technically have lost two hours a day that I didn't, you know, have to worry about earlier mm -hmm. before we moved so far out of town. So you're absolutely right on that. That's right. It's just making lemonade out of lemons, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So let's talk growth. I think a lot of aspiring ranchers and farmers get wrapped up in growing to a large scale operation too quickly. Mm -hmm. And what I loved when first talking with you was how you talked about the slow growth of expanding your herd over the last 10 years. Will you share with us this side of your story and the lessons learned during this time frame? Sure. So we felt very strongly from the beginning that we did not want to incur debt. We use this in our personal lives as well. I think you've talked about Dave Ramsey a little bit. Yes. And we, we use kind of a modified envelope system still. <laughs> I mean, we use cash for as many things as we possibly can. Um, we don't have a credit card. We just try to live within our means. We don't have debt except for our house and farm payment. And I say that, but Josh had the um, the ability to buy into his clinic. He's a partner in his clinic now. So we do have oh, nice. a loan, unfortunately, I guess, but <laughs> paying itself off with his um, with the income from the vet practice. So that was a, a good debt for us to have. We were Josh and I were actually talking about this portion, and he had reminded me that he heard someone say that he really it was a, a cattleman that he really respected said at one point, "You either need to own your land or own your cattle or both." Which that means, or Josh took that to mean, you don't need to have debt on your cattle and your land, or you can't make money at that. So. We didn't want to have a farm payment and an operating loan on cattle. I am a go big or go home person, <laughs> but that would not have been a healthy mentality for us, either financially or personally, because it managing growth was not just a financial thing for us, but a personal thing. So when we started out, I had a baby and um, Josh was working a job that was more demanding of him. And so personally, if we had taken on too much, that would have been hard on us. It would have been hard on our marriage. It would have been hard on us personally as well. So 
the way we did this was we started buying, I think I mentioned earlier, we bought Josh's dad's herd of cattle out. They were like young middle-aged cows and he had a bull named Oscar. (laughs) And we bought Oscar and the ladies from my father-in-law. And that was along with just a couple of cows that we had bought ourselves. And that kind of started us off. And so from that point, we gradually started growing. But what we did is we bought these six to nine month bred cows that were not super desirable for other people. So they may have been a little bit older. They were probably, they were colors that weren't black. I don't know about in Montana, but like around here, they got to be black cows. And we don't, we don't care about that because cows, they all taste the same. They all taste the same. They all taste good. So we were buying all the reds and the the white, the Charlotte crosses, and uh, we bought this sweet little shorthorn cross. Named, I named her Rosie. Oh, Logan, we just had to sell her the other day, and I, my heart broke. Like I cried for Rosie. Oh, no, <laughs> it was terrible. That's a whole sidebar, but so these cows that we were buying, they may have been a little. Some of them were a little thin, but we thought we've got great pastures. We're gonna fatten them up. They might have had a little spot on their eye. You know, anything that was going to cause their value to be less for someone else. That was like a bird in the hand for us. And when we were doing this, it was back when the market was down. The market's down again, but we've kind of been through an upswing and a downswing that all of these little reject mama cows that we were buying ended up, they'd have a calf or two or more for us. And they would more than pay us back because our investment, our initial investment in them was not much. So that worked out really well for us. And and then we kind of were able to start keeping back replacement heifers from the ones that we really liked. And we were gradually able, as we got more cash flow, to start buying nicer cows. And we have a, at this point, we have a closed herd. We don't buy anything at the sale barn anymore. We do go to specifically, there's a Red Angus sale that we go to every year. And so we do bring in in outside genetics for our registered herd. But all of our commercial cows, we're to the point now where we just keep replacement heifers and we don't buy anything from the outside. So we also grew really slowly in terms of our customer base. So we started by finishing one steer and then we did two steers. And early on when we started finishing our beef, we had this really interesting relationship. There was a processor in our area that was kind of starting up at that time too. And they were seeking people like us that were raising grass finished beef that would sell our beef to them, that they would in turn sell to restaurants, grocery stores, things like that. So we were able to form a relationship with them and say we finished five steers and I could only sell two of them, we could sell the other three to our processor. And that allowed us to grow slowly because we always had an outlet. If I couldn't sell it, we could sell it to them and get a a good fair price for it. Oh, that's awesome. It was, it was really awesome. And gradually we kind of outgrew that relationship because I was able to sell more and more beef on our own. And we of course did better if we could sell it. And 
that processor gradually started paying us less and less for our steers. So at, at some point we cut that relationship off, but it was a wonderful thing in the beginning when we were growing. And then we also grew slowly in terms of equipment. I, you were talking about not owning a tractor and yes, totally. No, that is, we can totally, I can sympathize with that because it was years before we owned a tractor. We just got really creative and we had neighbors that would set out hay for us or one of our landlords was fine. The little retired dairy guy that I was talking about, he still loved to do things like set out hay for our cows. And so we just let him do that. And it kept us from having to buy a tractor. That's amazing. Yeah. We just took advantage of all of those different creative ways to not have to invest in a tractor. And then when we were able to buy one, we bought a used one and we paid cash for it because we just saved up for it. And it was hard (laughs) and it was frustrating at times, but it was just a really good thing for us. And so our slow controlled growth has been the best thing for my sanity too, you know, just growing slowly. Yeah. But it's been, it's just been really good for us. We see this as a marathon and not a race like a, a, a sprint, slow growth is healthy for us. Absolutely. I love all the points you brought up there. Cause like you're saying, you know, it's a marathon and I've mentioned this before too. It doesn't matter if it takes you 20 years or 30 years, you know, it's all in the journey and you're doing it. And if you go slow and steady, you're going to get so much farther ahead because I think so many folks just get, it's easy to get wrapped up into wanting to be able to say, you know, I had 50 head of cattle and like you're talking about equipment God bless neighbors because, oh my gosh, I've talked about this and like you were saying, you know, they get you by and that's a big part of why I wasn't able to grow my cow herd this year is because I was like, okay, you Mm -hmm. know, cash flowing as much as possible. And we talk about how we do it kind of similar to what you guys do. We have our mortgage payment, which is also our land. Then I finance one piece of equipment at a time. We pay it off, get the next one. And I had to sacrifice growing my cattle herd so I could buy this old tractor and tractors hold their value. But like you said, you know, paying cash and just slow and steady all the way around. And I love your guys' journey into that. Like you're talking about all the different cows, like the rejects. Like I have, I say I have my pasture of (laughs) misfit toys, you know, it's like the island of misfit toys. I have all these little misfit cattle and absolutely love them. But like you're saying, you know, it doesn't matter they're producing for you and you're doing your grass finish. Yeah. They're all going to taste the same. It doesn't matter the color of their hide mm-hmm. or what bloodlines are coming from. And I love that you guys also have a registered herd so you can dabble in that too. Cause there's a lot of fun in that, but also, you know, just kind of a commercial yeah. herd. You've got the best of both worlds. And I love how you yeah. went into that. Thank you for sharing all your journey in that. Cause that's incredible. And what was the time frame? It was about 10 years, right? Yeah. It was about it probably a little more than 10 okay. years. It was it's been about 10 years since we finished our first beef. So that was in 20 or a little less, I guess. 2011, I think is when we finished our first beef. So we're more like in the 8 or 9 year mark there, but we had bought cattle before we were doing this kind of slow growth process had kind of started before we actually finished our first beef. And it's, it is fun. Like it would have been great to just start out with 50 cows, right? right? But the burden of the debt is not worth it. It's not worth it. It's not. And, you know, I think it's so easy to get things financed. We're in such a a debt ridden culture and it's like, Oh, you know, instant gratification, but then you are stuck in that. And if you have a bad year or an emergency comes up, I've talked about this before, it's going to create so much stress and I never want somebody's operation 
to be a burden. It's already hard enough getting into it, you know, as a first generation or staying in it as a fourth and fifth generation. And if you're piling on that debt and I went to, you talked about going to a seminar. I went to one that uh, was incredible. I'm trying to remember the name of the speaker. I'll have to tag it in the show notes. He was incredible. Um, He was talking about how he watched his granddad and then his dad and their, their family farm go bankrupt and how many people will finance big pieces of equipment for the tax write-off and whatnot, instead of just paying your taxes and taking your profit. And it was incredible to listen to this. It was such a perspective shift. And it was interesting to feel the energy in the room because you could tell it was a young yeah. ad conference. So it was a lot of folks coming in, taking it on as the next generation. And the way this guy talked mm-hmm. about it, I think it was legacy farmer. He did a fantastic job speaking. I was like, wow, he had so many great points on the financial side. And it's interesting how many people will get wrapped up into debt, but slow and steady is just, it's the name of the game. Yeah. And we're at the point now, it's fun because we are able to like, we're playing around with our genetics and we're doing some of those things that we've waited to do. But I think it makes it all the more sweet that it has taken us a long time to get there and we're appreciating it now. Yeah. And absolutely. And there's, there's none of that pressure either. Like say if at any point you wanted to quit, which I don't think any of us would, but say you wanted to, you could, you know, you could sell off and you could walk away if a different life situation came up or whatever. Um, Or if you needed to leave a day job that you no longer worked for you, you would be able to have Mm -hmm. some of that flexibility to be able to change your circumstances a little bit. So yeah, there's so much to be said about that freedom of just a slow growth and just so much more appreciation because you worked for it. When you pay cash for something, as opposed to financing something, (laughs) it's amazing that different feeling in your gut. Yes, you're right. You're a hundred percent (laughs) right. Oh, I love that. So speaking of day jobs, I Uh always encourage folks to keep a day job as they're building their business to ease that financial stress. So being that you and your husband hold down off-ranch jobs as well, will you share with us some of your tips to balance it all and avoid burnout while growing? Yes. So I've said several times, Josh is a veterinarian and um, he's in a mixed practice now. So he does small and large animal and it is, that's awesome, but it is hard all at once. <laughs> like he's got weird hours and things like that. And my primary job, I still tell people my primary job is a mom and a farmer, but I am also a part-time radio DJ and it is so random how that happened. And I could talk like for another hour about my <laughs> amazing radio job. It is so much fun. I'm very part-time at a country station and it's Froggy is our station. And so my radio name is Lilypad. I love it. <laughs> I know. But, but it is very part-time and very flexible as well. So like you said, it is okay. And I think Some people would even argue that it is preferable to maintain some sort of day job for multiple reasons. Like it not only financially is it a good thing for us, but I feel like it allows us to work in multiple areas where we're passionate too. So I get to farm and I get to play around on the radio and Josh gets to farm and he gets to use his gifts and abilities as a veterinarian, like helping people and healing their animals And kind of back when we got started, I mistakenly used to think that we were not real farmers because we did not farm full time. And that is not true. That's not true at all. We are as real of farmers as anyone else. And and 
the other thing is it is unfortunately increasingly difficult for young farmers to make a good living farming. And that is sad and awful and horrendous, but it's the truth. And we need to, I feel like as an industry move forward from that. And it's just, like it is what it is. It's very helpful for at least to have one person with an off-farm job. I will say though, farming while you're working brings its own set of challenges. So it helps us to have at least one person and that's me with a lot of flexibility in my schedule to be able to handle things like if we have a calving wreck or we have a any sort of emergency or just things like that. It really helps that my schedule is very flexible. Josh is pretty locked into his schedule at work, but he does get one day off during the week and he's only on call one out of every four weekends. So we cram so much work into like weird, odd hours. It's really (laughs) funny. And I use most of my days while our kids are at school for, I try to time management, man. I try really hard to plan my marketing sales and get whatever farm work I need to get done during the day. During the winter, I'm like feeding hay while they're at school. And I also try to get like as much of my errands and cleaning and stuff done while they're at school too. So I can enjoy my time with them when they're off. We can do more enjoyable things either on the farm or off farm or whatever. You asked about balancing it all. And Logan, when you figure out how to balance it all, you let me know. (laughs) I was hoping you were going to tell me. (laughs) hard. Well, I think one thing that helps us is like clearly knowing and defining your priorities. So farming is a huge part of our life, obviously, but it is not our end all be all. Like there is more to life than farming. And I know that's like sacrilegious to say, but um, I am a mom and I am a wife and I'm a friend. I carve out time in my week to volunteer at my kid's school. That's actually where I was before we started recording this. I was like running copies for the teachers. Nice. Yeah. I do financial work at our church. I serve on various committees within our community because I feel like these things are important to me. They bring value to my community and to my life. It helps me have a more balanced and well-rounded approach to life, I think, Also, when I'm doing a good job taking care of myself, I am making time for exercise in my life and I work better when mentally and physically when I am physically fit. I'm not doing a very good job of that right now, but I'm trying. I'm getting back on the, on the bandwagon. It's the holidays, you know. It is. It is. It's It's hard. But it's time to get back because it's so important. Yeah. Our kids are involved in activities and we make time for that because it is important for them to do that. They do 4-H, they do basketball, they play baseball. Eli is really into 4-H shooting sports. He does shotgun and rifle. And it's important for them to have those activities that are maybe agriculturally related, but they're off farm. We're involved in our church because our faith is very important to us. But like with all that being said, those are priorities, but we have to make tough choices. So we cannot say yes to everything. They have to choose one activity at a time. And I cannot say yes to all of the committees that I want to serve on. Um, Sure. You can't, when you say yes to one thing, you're saying no to another thing. And there are farm responsibilities that have to get done. And our kids know this. 
and we know this and that is part of our life and that is okay. They are used to having only one of us many times at like their games or Eli shooting competitions were always on Saturday mornings and I have the farmer's market Saturday morning. And so a lot of times I couldn't make those every once in a while I could, but Sunday afternoons, he has basketball right now. And sometimes Josh has to feed hay on Sunday afternoons. And so one of us is there, but both of us isn't always there. And also on the flip side too, there are little things on the farm that probably just don't get done because we're spending time on other activities as well. But it is just all about that balance and figuring out what is important and what your priorities are. And then the rest kind of falls into place. We are not good at taking breaks. We took a (laughs) vacation this summer and it was the first time that our family of four had ever taken a vacation together. And wow. Oh my gosh. It was glorious. We had taken vacations with other family members and stuff like that. But the four of us took a week. We went to the beach. We, it was the best thing ever. And I know that is so hard to give up that kind of time, but it was so value. It brought so much value to our family and that it was just so good. So I would encourage people to take a vacation if you can. But when it all comes down to it, I also believe that God created us to work. And so our days should be full and we should be tired at the end of the day. I believe this, but it is up to us to not overfill our plate to the point where we are like exhausted and burned out and crazy feeling. And sometimes we get on this crazy cycle and you have to regroup and take a step back and say, okay, what can we say no to right now? And then sometimes we just have to ride it out. Like calving season, we're going to be crazy and we just have to ride that out. But there's an end to that. And then we regroup and get back in line. So (laughs) I love that because, you know, just the different seasons, like you're saying, and I totally agree with you. I feel like we were made to work. But like you said, having those priorities. And for me, like we don't have kids yet. So it's amazing when I listen to ranchers and farmers who have kids and all these activities and stuff that go with schools and after school sports and families and all this kind of stuff. And you guys are my heroes. I know I've said this before, but I'm like over here juggling all my stuff and I don't even have kids in the mix. I'm like, I don't know how these moms and dads are doing it. It's incredible to me. But like for me, I know, like you said, multi-passionate, you know, you have different things that you enjoy to do in life outside of farming and ranching and that's totally okay. And I couldn't agree with you more. A lot of people have this misbelief of if you're not ranching or farming full time, you're not actually a rancher farmer. And that's so far Mm -hmm. from the truth because Mm -hmm. there's that joke of hobby farmers or hobby ranchers. And we're doing all the same activities. We just got different things in there and finding the balance is hard. My weakness, my house falls apart. Both my husband and I work, we got the, you know, obviously keeping the livestock alive and then making sure we eat. And then my kitchen at the end of the week is a a disaster. Do I like that? No, because I'm very type A kind of OCD. I would love to have my house clean all the time, but that's something that I have to say no to. It's not a priority, you know, paying our bills and showing up to work and doing a good job and take care of our livestock and whatnot. Those are all priorities like you were talking about. And some things just fall to the wayside. And if it's not life or death, don't worry about it. That's right. You can only do so much. I mean, you yeah. just you can only do so much. My high school student, Shelby, one thing that she used to do for me was fold my laundry. And oh. I, I know that sounds crazy, but so now, yes. 
And it was those little things like I could use that time doing something else. And now, you know, the laundry just doesn't get folded a lot of times. Right. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Come back. Come back. (laughs) Okay. So I really enjoy asking this question out of all the tools of the trade. What are two that you could not run your farm without? And you can only pick two. I might let you have a third one if you got three. Okay, so the well, okay, here's my third one because it goes without saying electric fence. And someone else has already mentioned this, but I have to at least mention it because we do run so much leased land that we couldn't do what we do um, and the rotational grazing without electric fence. So like, okay, that's my gimme. Don't count that one. Got it. But that's a good point. I love my electric fence. Yes. It's so important. And a solar, a big solar panel, because we don't have electricity on a lot of our farms. But anyway, okay. Okay, moving forward. Number one, we have a dart gun that I couldn't live without. Because going back to like operating on leased land, our facilities aren't always great on those farms. Or they're temporary. Like we use corral panels that we have to move from farm to farm sometimes. And if we have a cow that is, having trouble calving or about a year ago, we had a cow with a hurt foot and I didn't have a way to get her up into a chute. And so I literally, the kids and I, and my father-in-law, bless his heart, he, we went out there. I darted the thing with the dart gun. I darted her, sedated her. We laid her down. I doctored her foot. And then woke her back up. And it was all with the use of this glorious dart gun that makes my life so much easier and safer. And it makes me feel like a total badass. Like, I probably shouldn't say that. <laughs> I'm like, I love that. I just got it done, you know? And that yeah. gun allowed me to do that. It's a, it is such a, it's, it may be a luxury, but it is so convenient for us to, to have that. So which brand of dart gun did you guys purchase? Because I know there's a few out there now and I've been looking at these. Yes. So we use the brand called uh, New Dart, like P-N-E-U Dart. Yeah. I think they're out of Pennsylvania, somewhere in the Northeast. But I, (laughs) it was a Christmas gift for Josh one year. (laughs) That's the perfect Christmas gift. Yeah, but we use it a lot and it's kind of indispensable to us now. And so my other one, the other piece of equipment that I love, and I resisted buying this thing, but we have a side-by-side, a Polaris Ranger. And man, for years I was like, no, we're not buying that. It'll make us lazy. (laughs) We need to walk in. Like what? And now Logan, we have that thing. And I'm like, how did we ever live without it? It is awesome. It's super convenient. And I can load it up on a little trailer and take it from farm to farm. And it's just, it is so handy and it has saved us so much time. Yes. I just, it was, it was a good investment for sure. I love our side-by-side. We've got an Articat side-by-side. Yeah. At first, this is before, I mean, at the time I had my first cow when we bought this side-by-side and my husband's like, I really want this, you know, because we're hunters as well. And he's yeah. really big into hunting here in Montana. And so what is, I'm like, okay, you know, I'll be able to use it. Like you talked about early on being heavy in the horses. 
you know, my journey, I was heavy into horses first. So at the time we had, I had all my horses and just this one cow, I'm like, Ooh, I'm going to use this for muck and stalls. I'm going to use this way more than him. I'm like, yeah, honey, go get yourself a side by side. No problem. (laughs) Well, he goes all out and buys snow tracks for it and everything. Right. And I'm like, Oh, good Lord. Like he went all out. I am very thankful, but I'm sitting here going, do we really need that? And again, it's funny how God will set you up. I mean, not that he's probably like, here, go buy a side by side, right? That's a little ridiculous. But I didn't think we need snow tracks on our first property as a flat piece of property. And then I tell you what, we moved here and we're very much on a mountain property, mm-hmm. almost a hundred acres out here. And we get, you know, over three feet of snow accumulation. And those snow tracks are a lifesaver. Oh, and like I you bet. talked about, that side by side. I can get so much done. I can't tell you. I mean, we used to drag round bales with it and we made wow. a little hay cart for it. And that's how we got by without a tractor for so long. So I'm so glad you brought up side by side. It's amazing what you can do with those machines. And it really I'm very is. grateful. Yeah. And I'm so grateful. My husband went all out with the snow tracks because yeah, those have been a lifesaver too. And I know you guys don't maybe not need that in Kentucky, but up here in Montana, oh, I tell you what, and you want to talk about feeling like a badass driving that thing yeah. with these snow tracks on. I feel like a badass. That is awesome. <laughs> yeah, we just need four-wheel drive. That's that's it. And But, oh, snow tracks. That's cool. <laughs> and it makes it all lifted. It makes it huge because these tracks are ginormous. But you cannot get this thing stuck. It's incredible. Uh, so, yeah, I love all those things you brought up. Those are fantastic. I love the dart guns. I've been, I talked with Jamie at Cooper Creek Ranch about them too. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I've got to get one. And now hearing what you were saying, that's next on my investment list. Cause you're right. You can do so many things with that and less stress, you know, had you had to walk up and, or rope that cow to dart yeah. or whatever, yeah. that probably would have been a lot more stress than just the stress of darting her and then getting it done and getting out. So love your tools that you brought up. I think that's gonna be really helpful for a lot of people. Good. <laughs> oh, good. Okay, so you know this one is by far my favorite to ask, as it's always encouraging to hear the answer on this one. So what would be your best piece of advice to someone wanting to be a part of the agriculture industry in today's world? Okay, yeah, I had to think a lot about this. And I <laughs> I have, I guess, two little pieces of advice. But the first would be that it is okay to be different. And you can apply that to a lot of things. So like the whole debt thing, it's okay to not have a huge operating loan. It's okay to not have a job. Like it's okay to be different than everyone else. It's okay to not have all the toys at first, you know? And then we apply the, it's okay to not be different. Like it's okay to not have black cattle around here in Kentucky (laughs) where everybody has black cattle. If you don't concern yourself with what everyone else thinks, you do what's right for you and your operation. So it's okay to be different. That's my my one, my first piece of advice. And then my second advice, something that has helped me tremendously is find your community. So go to conferences. We go, I go to Kentucky Women in Agriculture every year and I am so inspired every year. If you go to a conference, and you take nothing away from it other than just encouragement from being around other like-minded people that like light your fire and get you going. It's worth it. Go connect with other people online. Find like this podcast has been so encouraging to me just to hear other people's stories that are doing what we're doing. Find your encouragement people, like find your 
friends, your village, because you need that community and those encouragement people to get you through the hard times because there are hard times in farming. It's like not if it's going to happen, but when. Finding a community has been so important to me personally and, and to our family as well. I love that. Such great points. And you're absolutely right. One of the big things on my goal list for 2020 is to attend more ag conferences. I went to this uh, one just this fall and hadn't been for to any conferences for a while. And it's amazing the takeaways and just, you know, it's a great place to connect. And like you said, a community and getting out and doing those kind of things is incredible. I think that's mm-hmm. fantastic advice. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, Thank you for tuning into the podcast. I love that. And there's so many more that are popping up that I'm really enjoying seeing different ag podcasts coming out. And it's fantastic. I think people are just really enjoying sharing their story and getting on and just encouraging others. And it's been a neat shift to see this encouragement cycle come through and just everybody, their different walks of their journey. And like you said, just don't be afraid to be different. I love that. And I respect that so much because there's like they say, um, what's that saying? Uh, riches are in the niches type of thing, right? So find your niche or your niche, mm-hmm. niche or however you say it. And don't be afraid to be different and to come from your story and share that. And that is fantastic advice. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, Melissa, this has been so much fun. So everyone that's listening in, where can we follow you? Where can we learn more about bluegrass beef? Can you give us all the details? Yeah. So we're on Facebook, Bluegrass Beef, whatever that the Facebook slash Facebook, whatever. (laughs) But if you search for Bluegrass Beef, we'll pop up. And then um, we're on Instagram at Bluegrass Beef. And then we have a website that's bluegrassbeefky.com. So those are the, the big places. Our Instagram is probably the most active. I just, I love Instagram and it's just been such a fun way to post pictures and connect with other farmers and and customers and just other people that are interested in our story. But I like my Instagram is probably my most active account. Oh, and your Instagram account is just beautiful. I love the pictures. They're so vibrant. And gosh, Kentucky just looks gorgeous. I've never been to Kentucky before. So I will have to come visit you at some point. Everything you guys are doing. I would love to. And then you can show me around your beautiful state. It just sounds incredible there. And I love just all the points you brought up of ranching and farming in Kentucky. And it just sounds fantastic. Each state I learn about, it's so neat to Mm. hear the unique challenges as well as the benefits to ranching in that particular area. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing that. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so much fun. I can't wait for everybody else to hear this. Yay. (laughs) 